Good morning, First Baptist Church of China Grove. I'm glad you joined me this morning. We're here on mid-June, and I've got a sermon for you today. It's called, If God Be For Us. Now, I want you to realize that God is for you. I know many of us think we get down and we suffer problems in our life. We think, well, is God listening? Is God there? Is God helping me? And I want to answer that with a scripture today and and, and answer to say to you, certainly God is there. God loves you and God is for you. And he's there helping you. And if nothing else, with grace. A lot of times we pray and God sends his grace. He doesn't send the answer necessarily we, we want. You see, Paul had prayed. And he prayed and for something to depart from him. But God said, my grace is sufficient. So sometimes even Paul didn't get the answer he wanted. And so don't think that you're always going to get the answer you, you want. But let's look at what the scriptures do declare in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, how many things work to our good? All things. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you're a believer, God is predetermined. He wants you to be like his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then he goes on, and I love this, in the rest of the chapter, and talks about the love of God, and asks the question in verse 35, what can separate us from the love of God? And it mentions a lot of things, can Spiritual beings, angels, Satan, principalities, governments, powers, present, things to come. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, folks, if you want to know the answer to that question, is God on my side? Is God helping me? Is God hearing me? The answer is yes. The scriptures just told you. Exactly that that's the case. So if you know Christ as your Savior, you can be assured that God is always on your side. And even if sometimes you're not all that good, God's still on your side. God doesn't hate you. He can never hate you or, or he loves the world. He, he loves everyone, but God can never, it's never against you. Don't think everything that God is against you. God always loves you, and that's born out here. That and God's love never fails us. Amen? God's love never fails us. He is always present in our lives. John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Uh, Jesus gave many promises, 
God has given the promises. I will not leave you nor forsake you, saith the Lord. God has said, I'm with you and I will not forsake you. I will be there when you need me. I will be there when you need comforting. I will be there when you need an answer. I will be there whatever, whatever, I, the Lord, will be there. And so we need to understand that, that he promises his, not only his love, but his presence. Okay? So God is with us. He promises, I will love you, and I'm present with you. So that's, we're off the bat. Hey, God's with me. God loves me. And then he says, who can be against us? What about the people who are against us? What about people showing up that are against us? He uses the thing there, uh, who. It's called an, an interrogative pronoun. Now, let me tell you what an interrogative pronoun is. It just means a program, a, pro, a pronoun that has expansion. It, it, it's meant to say who, whom, what. Okay? Whom, where, what. Uh, it means there's never a place where God's against you. There's never a person that can stand against you because of God. And that means not just people, but Satan himself. Even Satan, listen to me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan cannot stand against you because of God. And there's never a what, there's never a thing. Because a lot of times we run and say, I've run into this thing, this thing, this thing. There is no thing that can be against us because God is with us. God before us, nothing, not, not, not no thing, no person, no place, situation, circumstance can stand against us. That's why it says all things work together for, for good. It's talking about that thing. And so nothing can stand against us with God. Amen? Amen. Nothing. Nothing that God can't lead us to overcome. And then it asks, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God be with us, what things? The things are in the previous verse, verse 28. All things work together. And there's that things again, see? What, what should we say to these things? All things, all circumstances work together for good. And I know, I know that's hard in our finite, human, limited understanding to see. And God knows that too. God knows you can't see how all things collectively are going to work together for good. I mean, I'm sure the Christians, and I've talked, we've talked a lot about the stoning of Stephen lately. It was even in a Sunday school class. I'm sure the Christians standing by when they saw Stephen stoned could not see any purpose in that. And, there, and I know there were Christians standing there and said, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Why would somebody like Stephen be taken out? An early leader in the church, a godly man. And could see no benefit to it. And there are bound to be things that we see in our lives where we see no benefit whatsoever. But that's the short term. We're not looking the long term. But all things, he has told us, all things work together for the good. 
All circumstances work together for good. And what shall we say to these things? We're called, by the way, not according to our purpose, but his purpose. We're called, it says here, according to his purpose. So when God called us, he had a purpose in calling us. Amen? In verse 29-30, it states our salvation. Our state now and in the sure future to come. Verse 29-30. We're called, we're justified, we're justified, but we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our future. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be in heaven with glorified existence. And so that's, that's our future state. Our future state is better than the one we have now. But in order to get us there, he had to justify us so that we could be eventually what? Glorified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Paul says in light of all these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? I want to give you just a simple illustration of, of this truth this morning that you can understand. And I would ask if everybody was here for a hand raise. How many are saved? And if everybody, let's assume everybody but a few maybe, raised their hand and said, yes, I'm saved. Do you realize that's an example of the truth of that verse? If God be for us, what can be against us? Because my Bible says this. My Bible says in Ephesians 2.1, that we were born dead in our sins. And I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a dead man get up and walk? Never happens. You never see anybody crawl out of that casket and say, I'm fine. Dead men don't walk. We're born dead in our sins. Furthermore, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, that the eyes, our eyes have been blinded. It says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And was there a time that you didn't believe? Yep. You know, Satan had blinded your, your eyes so you couldn't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them? Well, your eyes were blinded. You were dead in your sins. And what happened? You got saved. Why did you get saved? Because God was for you. Satan was against you, but he could not overcome God. How about that? So I, I, I can give you a great illustration right there. Your salvation, and it talks about it here, who we justified, he glorified, is a perfect example of literally how that God is for us and is never against us. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And it says this. The result of our salvation, here we are, Galatians 1, 3, and 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. We've actually been delivered from the present evil world. And in Colossians 1, 13, it says we have been delivered from the power of darkness. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, He's delivered us from fear of death, Hebrews 2, amen. He's delivered you from everything, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. These are the results of that salvation. Would you say God is for you? Say amen. 
God is for you. And I want to illustrate this with a little story from the Old Testament this morning. And that is found in um, Judges chapter 7, verse 2. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, Gideon raises up the army to go and fight the Midianites. And as he's about to do, do this, the Lord comes to Gideon and he says this, The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel vault themselves against me, saying, Israel... Uh, against me saying, my own hand has saved me. In other words, God said, you have too many men because with that many men, if you go down there and destroy the Midianites, Israel can say, we did it ourselves. God didn't help us. And God wants to say, I'm, I'm for you. God is with us. Who can be against us? Amen? And so he said, you have too many people, Gideon. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the military commander, Gideon, how would you have felt about God telling you this? I would not have been happy. Okay? Neither would you. Because he's asked you to take less men and go and uh, fight the Midianites. Well, so he went and he said, uh, there are too many. And reduced them, he reduced them. And then he says, it's not, still not enough. So God thins the, he thins the troops out, not once, but twice. The second time he says, go, and the ones who drink will cup up their hands and drink, take those only. So he got down to 300 men out of the thousands that he brought. Uh, now, at this point, if you're Gideon, you got to be a little afraid or apprehensive. Don't you think so? If 300 men, verse 7, 300 men were all that were there. there. And so he heard, he, he said to God, God, 300 men? So he was apprehensive. Gideon did not want to go down there against the Midianites with, there were thousands of them with 300 men. You say, well, the, uh, the 300 men at uh, Thermopylae stood against the Persians, you know, the 300 Spartans. Yeah, but they eventually lost. And uh, there have been other cases. And the 100-something men in the Alamo, they lost too. Uh, and so 300 men against thousands. And so God says, okay, Gideon, I understand. You're a little apprehensive. He said, go down to the camp and listen. And he went down to the camp that night, and he overheard the, the Midianites talking. And one of the Midianites says, I had a dream. I had a dream. And I dreamed that a barley cake rolled down the hill and destroyed a tent, one of our tents. And he went on to say, and this barley cake was the sword of the Lord and Gideon. That's the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Not just Gideon, but the sword of the Lord. And so Gideon heard that. And he took that as a sign from God, and it was a precursor that he would, he would destroy the enemy. Well, 
I used to preach a sermon, by the way, how a biscuit won a war. And uh, this, that's what this story is, the story of the barley cake rolling down the hill. And so he goes back then and gets the 300 men and goes and gets them ready with God's assurance. And he goes down and his 300 men defeat the thousands. Well, this is just a little story. But folks, it illustrates something very meaningful here. And that is that God was with them. God was with 300 men, and the 300 men defeated the thousands. And I know sometimes as Christians, especially in modern-day America, we're not the majority. We feel kind of, if you're a Bible-believing evangelical Christian today, you feel kind of set upon. We feel kind of outnumbered. And that's okay. Because if God is with us, who can stand against us? And I want you to realize that. That we live in a day where our faith is challenged and we're challenged. We're challenged every day. In every way, spiritually, it's a challenge. But I want you to know that God is with you. And God is going to help you. And be with you. And I hope you take that promise today that we read in God's Word. If you ever feel down, I always say, say Romans 8 is my when I feel down chapter. Read Romans 8, 28 and following, and it will lift you up. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to retreat back to what I said earlier about your salvation. And if you don't know Christ, listen, Satan has stood against you all your life. He stood against you to keep you from being saved, to keep you from believing on Christ. But if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God says he's for you. He's already voted for you. And he just wants you to accept his son Jesus as the one who died for your sins. And he says, I'll forgive you. I'll make you a child of mine. And I will take you into my bosom. I'll love you in a special way. I'll give you life eternal. And I'll give you a new birth of the Spirit. And friend, if you accept it, just call upon it the best way you know how. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. I'm trusting you to be my Lord and Savior. That's enough. Why don't you call on him today and do that? Because God is for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word. And ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.